welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. I'm Rob McLeod, joined, as always, with Brendan O'Leary. Today, we are delivering you the PhD thesis level of analysis on school events in the mainstream school. We're going to use the terms traditional, mainstream, and progressive education. You probably have a sense of what those might mean, but if you're new to us, recommend skipping ahead to the last five or six minutes of this very episode you're listening to, where we will give you kind of our glossary of exactly what we mean by traditional, mainstream, and progressive. So Brendan, school events in the mainstream school, this is orange in spiral dynamics and or the integral stages. We characterize it by the relationship of the coach and the athlete. Let's back up one step before we dive into this. Traditional, the master and apprentice relationship approach to education. What did school events look like there so that we can compare and contrast them with the mainstream differences? PhD level A. A dissertation. Let's see what we can do. (laughs) No pressure here. So back in the old days, school events essentially were to celebrate and strengthen the community, maybe get all the parents on the same page socially. So you'd have an induction or an opening ceremony, you'd have graduation ceremonies, sports day, Christmas concerts, uh, or whatever religion was in in your community. Uh, An end of the year, maybe musical or play, maybe a family picnic time. Uh, In some schools, they would have some form of information um, evenings, but that might be more a getting to know you, kind of a trust building exercise with teachers. And there might be a talent show um, in which the main point is to show off your competencies. Maybe if you were taking piano lessons or some such. And um, what would what we found is that many of these same things still exist in a mainstream school. And it's one of these things where we're doing the same thing, but with a different mindset and maybe for a different reason. So what would, what might we see regarding school events in the mainstream school? Yeah. So we're going to see the shift from the traditional approach to these kinds of events where it is about kind of everyone gets a chance into this idea in the mainstream of, Things are now a competition. So sports day, it is really about finding out genuinely who is the best in this thing. We've got sports team tournaments and competitions. We've got a talent show where there are actually tryouts and auditions so that it's really just the kind of top 10 best students who actually move on to performing for the entire school. Now, I think that's a shift because in a traditional talent show, let's just use it as the example you might have 30, 40 people involved in it. And everyone who wanted a shot gets a go. Whereas in some of the mainstream schools I've been in, we've got tryouts where still those 30 or 40 students have their go, but maybe it's just with an audience of kids who wanted to stay in at break that day and a panel of judges. And when the actual talent show happens, it's the 10 students or groups or whatever that the actual teachers have chosen. So we're still doing talent shows, but the shift has gone from you want a chance to perform to this idea of you want to compete within the talent show. So again, like you said, we're still doing the same thing, but for different reasons. That could include as well, like an art show, these sorts of things as well. We touched on the musical side of things. So we might still have an end of the year musical, might still have Christmas concerts, 
But these are going to be done much less out of tradition and more out of this idea of like something new or, you know, a twist or it becoming really fresh. And, you know, we, you and I use this term, or maybe I use it more than you, this idea of Pinterestification. So the website Pinterest, now you can always go there to get some kind of new novel idea. And it's almost like these things become like a, a competition or like an arms race of the most new, newly updated, newest take on doing a Christmas song, you know, like taking further and further steps away from the traditional approach to these things and trying to one better than we did last year and kind of up the stakes, this sort of thing. You know, it's a chance for even like, you know, drama clubs and et cetera, to really show their skills and show that, you know, we are, we've really come a long way and here's what we can pull off. Yeah. This ain't your grandmother's toast. <laughs> there is uh, this kind of, uh, everything's got to be a twist. Everything's got to be new, which is cool in and of itself as the mainstream moves away from tradition, no longer is not tied to that ritual so much, but to uh, practical opportunities even. So you will see um, those kind of family picnic events and pastoral events that maybe were the center point of a traditional school. Those might start to get pushed into the background or the side. There may not be as many of them, or they may be off campus or whatever. And they might be replaced by things like celebrations of learning or information sessions. So it's actually turning the few hours a year that you spend with the parents into something very practical and curriculum related. And as with all of these things, there's no, uh, it, it doesn't happen overnight. And we're living in a world where you don't, you're never a completely traditional mainstream progressive school. So you may still see some of these, but the focus may move towards the celebrations of learning and information sessions away, and away from those pastoral and, and kind of, family-oriented events. And just as examples of what we mean by celebrations of learning or these information nights, celebrations of learning, both you and I, we use the writer's workshop approach. So, you know, the students have spent six, eight weeks maybe working on stories, and we've practiced a lot of skills in these. And these final pieces of writing that students have done are rather incredible. And the idea is we'd invite the parents in for 30, 60 minutes, and they can sit down and hear their child's story, hear stories from a few other kids. And we, you know, even talk to the parents about how we're marking this and what to look for. You know, don't just look for us, you know, spelling errors on the, you know, the kids work when you sit down with a six-year-old, but, you know, pay attention to how they structured their ideas, these sorts of things. And, you know, it builds on an idea we've talked about this idea of parents as an extension of the coach in the classroom. And when we're bringing the parents in for these celebrations of learning, it's also acting as a way to better inform the parents of what's going on. And we might even do that directly with a parent information where we're straight up giving parents like the training, the same training in some cases that the staff are actually going through. We're almost giving them the professional development to be teachers at home and understand the methods that we're doing in the school. As we're training up the parents, we're also kind of moving them off site. As we just said in the, in the last um, episode, which was about the, the role of the parent in school, we're actually moving them 
the interesting thing is that teaching and learning was kept at an arm's length in the traditional, but the community, the parents were very much a part of the pastoral or the kind of like community sense of the school. We've almost flipped that. So now we bring the parents in for the teaching and learning aspects, but we keep them at an arm's distance in terms of the pastoral and the, the kind of the community aspect, the, the, um, and, and this kind of really changes that relationship. And so very few of the things would happen inside school hours would actually start to see the focus when the kids are in school is on that curriculum and on the academics. And so anything is okay as long as it doesn't distract too much from that. And these events where parents are involved are somewhat of a distraction from the focus, the main job of school. And so they are pushed into evenings and weekends and away from the, um, the kind of day-to-day -day running of the school. Yeah, I think that's a really key idea. If we're going to have a celebration at its best, this needs to be serving our current curriculum objectives or what we're trying to accomplish in class and not distract from it. And I shared an example from Ontario. Uh, we had to go back and do a little bit of research to make sure that what I was saying is still accurate, but there's almost this idea in mainstream schools also like extracting the celebration from the tradition. So, you know, in a traditional school, we may have had a Halloween day where everyone comes dressed up in their costumes. And let's be honest, it's mayhem on that day. <laughs> like, you know, it's wild. You're dressed up as Batman. Your friend is Superman. You're running around all over the place. It's hyper. It's a special kind of a day. And of course, you will get some of your lessons done and accomplished, but it's not a very effective and efficient day. In the more mainstream approach, you might see something like Halloween replaced with a black and orange day. So we're not getting all dressed up in our costumes and kids overheating in, in masks and all these sorts of things. And of course, someone gets hurt with the fake lightsaber and all this sort of stuff. Those distractions are gone. We have a winter festival instead of you know, a Christmas celebration, these sorts of things. And we actually found quotes from administrators, principals in Ontario saying, yeah, we got rid of the Halloween dress ups because the costumes were too distracting. You know, it straight up required far more increased supervision to ensure their safety and appropriateness and the level of comfort. We had kids overheating. We had kids losing things. And at the end of the day, all of that was distracting from the teaching and learning. It was distracting from our lessons. It was distracting us from our goal of delivering success on the curriculum. So that got axed and it's replaced with wear some black and orange that day. We only have 180 days, Rob, and every day counts. And the kids in the afternoon were so sleepy. So sleepy after all of that running around with their costumes on. Um, it was a write-off, couldn't get any maths done we really like, had 179 days that year exactly so don't don't you know you got to take that into account when we do the statistics at the end but i mean that's a that's a ridiculous uh, way to put it but it, it does i have had conversations where you know you know at christmas time or end of the school year the schools would go home at lunchtime and now in a lot of schools, they don't go home at lunchtime. They will stay till the end of the day. Now, some of it is kind of to do with the, the kind of social contract or even the legal contract that, you know, schools have that will keep kids till 3.30 or 4. But a lot of it is like, oh, actually, you could still get something done in that, uh, 
in that full day rather than the half day. So, you know, use all of the time you have and, um, and set them up so that they're ready to do their work over the holiday as well. <laughs> you saw all of that time because, um, you know, setting your eye on that goal is key and anything that distracts from it um, is not good in a, in a mainstream school, especially as, a, you know, we'll get into the babies and bathwaters of this, but even just in the generic mainstream kind of mentality that the focus is on the curriculum and the, uh, the students goals, the students learning in its uh, curriculum sense. So let's get into those babies and bathwaters that you've just hinted at there. So we're trying to tease apart what do we want to keep? What are the gifts that this is bringing? And what could we maybe set aside? And one of the gifts definitely is the just straight up that Pinterestification, the making things interesting, this idea of one upping things from the year before. We're not just going through the motions. This isn't a boring thing of like, oh, we know exactly what's coming and all this sort of stuff. There is this idea of like, oh, I'm curious to see what this year's take on it is, you know, new ideas. It's fresh. It's interesting. And, you know, I would argue that that's just as much the case for students as it is for parents, as it is for teachers, that there is a sense of liveliness and, you know, where you got to bring your A game to these things. You can't just phone it in. Yeah. And I think that's very much that idea of bringing your skills to this thing and up leveling it. Um, is very much in line with the competition aspects. And when the competition is positive, it can be really motivating. Clear goals, a clear focus, and whether that is in your, your talent show, or whether it is in uh, organizing an event, or whether it is in an academic study, the idea is that you are in competition, not just with yourself. Of course, your personal best is important, but... Um, you're in competition with everybody else as well. And we're going to give you the stats and we're going to make them transparent. And we're going to show how much progress you've made individually, but also the people around you, you're not in a vacuum. And so when, when done well, when done positively, it can be motivating. Um, and that ties into this idea of transparency as well. So because we are transparent about our goals and what our aims are, um, people are more informed and then that helps um, in the areas of support and things like that. So a lot of positives to be taken from these school events. Anything else to add or should we move on to the bathwaters? I think just to add to what you're saying there, yeah, this, this idea of a school event where we are informing parents about our methods, that's a huge step up from the traditional approach with the traditional teacher may even keep their methods a secret and not want to explain it to parents. And, you know, this is a huge shift in the game to say, like, as a teacher, actually, no, when you come for this reading information night or this writing information night or this math night, I'm going to show you exactly what we're doing in class. We might even do a, a model mini lesson so you can see exactly what your child is going through. Heck, your kid might come with you and your kid will walk you through part of the thing themselves and explain this to you, this idea that a parent, if they wish, could be trained or at least understand the approach to the same degree that a teacher or other staff are, that this is a wildly new idea and I think helps to um, 
in some ways open up that teacher home dialogue that I think that's one of the gifts that the mainstream approach is bringing. And then it kind of grows and evolves as we shift towards that progressive approach to education where the parents are not only involved in ensuring their child's developing the curriculum, but potentially involved more authentically in the child's overall growth trajectory and educational experience. Yeah, I think that's important to, to, to see the notion of school events no longer just being those celebrations of end of the year or um, these kind of old rituals, if you like, or just a, a get together, but they are a celebration of learning where you come in and look at the work that's been produced in an inquiry or a, a project or a writer's workshop. Uh, so reframing the idea of an event to be something that actually ties in to their academic progress and that you can learn to be better at. And so you attending this event is actually going to make you more able to support your child's learning. That's kind of unique to think of that as an event. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's expanding the definition of what a school event could be. So those are some of the babies, some of the good things that we like about this mainstream approach to these school events. Brendan, every every coin has two sides. We're saying there's some bathwater, some things, the new problems maybe that are created by this mainstream approach. Uh, or bathwaters we wish to minimize when possible. What's one of them? So you talked about that wonderful website, Pinterest. And although it is wonderful, and if you want to find out pretty much anything, you can go on there and there's lots and lots of great ideas. It would argue from both a traditional and progressive kind of approach that Okay, so you've got the novelty. You've brought this kind of novelty into the, the Christmas event. Now everybody's dressed as a baby or a dinosaur in an egg or something like that. But you've actually lost the connection to the traditions and the rituals that we had. And the, there was a reason deep hidden in our psyche as to why these cycles kind of emerged. Um, and sure, they might be a little stuffy at times and you might find it boring, especially if you're a a wee, a wee lad. However, as you grow, as you live these cycles year after year, you become more a part of the, the, the cycle of the world around you. There's a reason why we had the festivals of lights in the middle of winter and why there are summer and spring festivals and severing your links to that so that you can have some kind of novelty unicycle event. Uh, I guess the both the traditional and the progressive uh, parent and educator would not see that as a good trade-off. Yeah, and as well, losing some of those rites of passage. This is like a minor example, but in my public school, we would do the, uh, the 12 Days of Christmas song. Well, first of all, there is a tradition to begin with. We would all get together in the gym, in the uh, sports hall, and sing Christmas carols for like half an hour, I think for the like entire month of December, maybe if my memory is serving me correct, but it would always end. Each of those sessions would end by singing the, the 12 days of Christmas. And, you know, this was a K to eight school and the grade eights would start 
and they would, you know, do the first day and then the grade sevens would do the second day and the grade six is the third day and so and so and forth. And, you know, there was something, you know, not quite tangible that was really cool that from year to year, you got to be that next one. And then there was that certain sense of rite of passage of you were leading this when you got to grade eight. And there was something that was cool about that. And I'm guessing had my school continued on, I'm guessing at some point that would have been ditched or someone would have been like, do we really need to keep doing this? You know, with that more mainstream mindset, like what if we did this instead? What if we split up the groups? What if the K's to fours do this? And then the fives to eights do that, or, you know, something where there'd be a desire for a new spin on it. And you would lose that long-term rite of passage sense of belonging that you only get from doing some of these traditions in these ways. Yeah, and and also those events, like the one you just described, especially ones where parents would, would be coming in for that. We used to do these big Christmas concerts and, um, you know, pre-COVID, but um, that got us to question those kind of events and uh, whether they will come back once, you know, we're kind of fully open again. And it's interesting to question that because, yeah, lots and lots of preparation and it's all done in an hour or whatever, but the richness of just having everybody together in that room is somewhat unquantifiable. And the mainstream is all about quantifying things and measuring things. And maybe the criticism from the traditional or progressive would be, well, you can't measure this. So you're saying it has no value, but you're missing the massive amounts of goodwill and trust and so many other kind of things that, that being part of the community brings that just being together not everything has to be tied to progress and academic progress and the curriculum there is a broader sense of holistic uh, well-being and growth that you are totally ditching yeah, and just that idea of this is the time together to just be the community. And it's not being the community, as you said, in that context of, oh, this better be serving the curriculum or, you know, not losing any out, losing on any of those 180 days in the precious time. It's like, no, if we are a group of people, we do just need some time to just be together because there are very few opportunities where we can gather in groups in meaningful ways. And I'd say finally, we've said there's a healthy side to competition, of course, in the mainstream schools. And of course, competition can help to bring out new ideas and, you know, put a little bit of pressure here and there to, you know, push some innovation and, and the desire to find something new. But we run the risk in mainstream schools of everything becoming a competition. And when everything is a competition, there's just an increased and at times unnecessary pressure on everybody. Students, I'd argue, particularly staff, when there is that push of, oh, no, Christmas concert's coming up. What's your new thing going to be that's going to top the You don't want the grade twos to upstage your grade fours and make your grade fours look bad. Like all these silly little things that end up causing a lot of unnecessary pressure, which in turn ends up even taking away from those mainstream goals of like, you know, finding what's most effective and what's most efficient. And if you're using up a lot of your mental space and capacity to 
figure out what your next Pinterest idea is going to be or whatever to wow the folks or where are we going to get the unicycles for this? Um, it distracts you maybe from your larger, more important goals. Yeah, and as you kind of alluded to there, especially a progressive educator would see the payoff in terms of wellness, mental health for constantly living under these pressures. Um, many of them not really having any true bearing on the present or the future. Um, not a, not a, a very holistically healthy way to be. But um, yeah, as we said, in, in uh, we're done well, yes, but uh, so many times these things can kind of get away from us if we're not uh, vigilant, shall we say. Speaking of vigilance, and I'll throw in thoroughness, this is incredible to see it approaching, Brendan, but we have one more topic, community outreach, in order for us to wrap up what's been, what, a 40-part series of looking at the different components of school through this lens of the mainstream school. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we first started with the traditional and we did it like um, like a fun trip around the school, imagining that we were visiting each of these areas and not really knowing how to break the school into sections that made sense then little by little kind of analyzing it breaking it apart and then digging further and further in um just even those last two were it was kind of we don't know how this is different and we've already talked about doing this as an experiment maybe in the next episode of doing it in real time, trying to parse what community outreach might look like in a mainstream school. The meta yeah. moment here being that Brennan and I get together every other week when we're not recording to talk through all of these things. We're not just showing up well, to these episodes. Know that, no, <laughs> people don't not, know that. <laughs> we're not showing up. See, they're not there for that part, Brennan. So we get together, we plan these, we make bullet points, we talk through things, we sort through some of our own examples. And, you know, sometimes things make sense. And then one of us challenges the other, and then we tease it apart and then find some new synthesis of something we hadn't pieced together. So we've got like a week of sorting these things out and then a week of trying to present them to you. And Brennan's alluding to this idea of we should just record us trying to make our notes for a podcast one time because it's quite a process to tease these things apart. We're, this is our own active inquiry that we're figuring out in real time with everyone. Yeah, I guess if you're listening, you're thinking like these guys, whether or not I agree with them, at least they know what they think. It's pretty succinct, especially after it's been edited and all of the, the mistakes are taken out as well. It's like these guys know what they're talking about, even though I totally disagree with them. But no, we actually don't really. And some of it is like assessment and stuff was really, you know, we had a lot of wealth of, of thoughts and experiences, but school events it's not really something i've ever tried to look at through the lens of traditional mainstream and progressive but um it's been very useful very useful to uncover things that are right in plain sight but just need to be kind of pointed out oh actually you've you've with your school events for example you've 
even though the mainstream is actually trying to include parents more in school and have them understanding more, you're actually excluding them in this area. And especially with the school roles from the last episode, it's like, yeah, you've excluded them because you're saying they don't have the level of professionalism. It's like, whoa, it's mind blowing. So yeah, I'll be interested to see maybe next time um, how messy it gets. Yeah, and I think episode. there's at least two things happening. And one is you and I clarifying our thinking or teasing these things apart, because I often use the analogy that, you know, there's a tug of war between these three types of school. In every school I've seen, and in every educator, there's some tug of war between a traditional mainstream and progressive approach. And I often say it's like a tug of war and I often say it's like a cocktail and it's like those three types get mixed together. And when they're mixed together, it's not obvious which one's calling the shots. We just think it's school. We just think it's education. We think it's being a teacher. But what I think you and I are doing is trying to distill and extract those ingredients from the cocktail, being able to say, oh no, these are the, this is what it looks like when traditional is informing this, this is, you know, same topic, school events, this is what the traditional, you know, flavor is, this is what the mainstream flavor is, this is what the progressive flavor is. And I just assume at some point, we're going to have the world's most intimidating looking checklist with three columns to help people sort out uh, which areas of their school are functioning more traditional, mainstream or progressive, but who knows when we get there. Who knows? I think even if you disagree, and I suppose a bunch of people who disagree that, that even that, that notion of traditional mainstream progressive exists, but not too long into the conversation where they, at least we come to an agreement that something's different um, about these different types of schools. And that thing runs deep. It's kind of, there's something at the core of those different types of schools that then impacts everything else and that's what's really interesting it doesn't matter whether we're right or wrong on this it is like do you think that at least what we've just said about mainstream schools and the school events for example do you agree that a traditional kind of there is another approach that you might find and then there's a third approach at least and there might be more but at least it's kind of like not to say as you just said it's just school or it's just a fruit juice yeah, but the, you can, there is some benefit from knowing because then you can critique whether it's what you want to do, whether that's helping your community. And that's the thing. We're not saying that any of these are wrong. It's contextual. It's about what you and your community and, and the time and the place kind of asks for. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Rob. Now, time for the Reinventing Education, three types of school in a nutshell. If you're new to us, hopefully this is a helpful guide to navigate some of the terminology we use on our podcast. All right, so every school and every educator is in a tug of war, and we're pulled in three different directions. Each of the three directions has its own definitions about what makes for a good education. But this tug of war is difficult to notice. Because the three directions to education each use the same vocabulary, but each of the three directions has their own definitions 
for what that vocabulary means. So let's characterize these three approaches with the following names, traditional, mainstream, and progressive. And let's connect each to its relationship between a student and teacher. So traditional uses a master and apprentice model. Mainstream uses coach and athlete model. And progressive uses a counselor and counseled model. Now these three approaches to education would agree on the surface that education has the same three aims. Those three aims of education are for occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. However, each of the three approaches to school, traditional, mainstream, and progressive, has completely different ideas about what occupational preparation, cultivation of citizenship, and self-development requires. So how does each of the three approaches to education meet the three aims of school? Well, with traditional master and apprentice, we see that the teacher is an expert and knows the one best way for students to achieve academic success and meet the three aims. In the mainstream, the Olympic coach and athlete model, the teacher works to assess and create each student's individual optimal way, balancing the effectiveness and efficiency to achieve maximum academic success in relationship to the curriculum to meet those three aims. And finally, the progressive, the counselor and counseled. The teacher and student negotiate the student's path to achieve their goals for academic success to meet the three aims. Each teacher will have a preference towards one approach, while the school itself may have an overall consensus, and this is where you'll find the tug of war. These three approaches not only define how an education is conducted in the classroom, but it also informs three different directions in terms of a school's organization, its culture, and its practices. The traditional master and apprentice requires a clear pyramid of authority, prioritizing security along with duty and tradition, putting trust in those in authority to uphold their duty for the integrity of the system. The mainstream coach and athlete uses a flowchart with a mobility for all, which serves as a flexible meritocracy of authority prioritizing achievement along with measurable progress and transparency towards meeting specific goals, putting the results of those in authority as important for the integrity of this system. And finally, progressive counselor and counseled uses horizontal leadership like a circle prioritizing inclusion along with individuals' needs for meaning and empowerment, putting the personal and group significance as important for the integrity of the system. We often see tugs of war between how to organize the overall structure, either reinforcing the pyramid, a flowchart, or a circle. Each of these three types of school can be done well, somewhat effectively, or poorly, and each can suit a specific context better than the rest. Here on Reinventing Education, we believe it's better for a school to choose the type of school that best suits its students, staff, and community context, and do it to be high-functioning. Otherwise, the ongoing tug-of-war between the three approaches comes at the expense of time, resources, passion, and relationships, while not even ensuring that any of the three approaches is done well. Here on Reinventing Education, we are exploring the idea of the next type of school, a post-progressive approach to education that prioritizes the integration of these three previous types of school. Why? Well, an integration approach would seek a flexible and adaptive balance of the three previous approaches as an adaptive approach 
to inquire into and provide what is deemed a best fit for students, community, and the system in a given context to best meet those three educational aims of occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development as defined by those involved. The integration value attempts to maximize the gifts when appropriate of each approach to education while discerning how to minimize unnecessary drawbacks that are required when in wholly investing in doing one approach. In order to integrate the gifts of the three previous types of school, we need to know what we have to work with. So on our podcast, we're digging deep into these three types of school and trying to tease apart the babies and the bathwaters of each one.